Good morning. It is good to see you. Let me turn my microphone on. But welcome to First Baptist Church. We are glad that you're here. Um, I'll just give you a couple of things to take note of in your worship, God, ladies, tonight. The Come to the Well is taking place, and so please be a part of that. You can also see some of the discipleship things. I'm teaching that prayer and psalm and a prayer at 9 o'clock on Wednesday mornings, and then also at 6.30. Same psalm, same Bible study. So you can be in here for either one of those. And you can see the rest of the things that are taking place. We hope that you will um, take and get involved in those. Um, Chris DeWall is celebrating his eight-year anniversary with us on the 25th. Did you know that, Chris? Well, happy anniversary. As you know, Melanie's been here a little bit longer than Chris. She, his wife was on the committee that called me. So uh, speaking of committees that called me, um, just a moment Gary Hollingsworth is going to come and share with you about Mission Dignity. Gary and Gwen are here. They grew up in the church that I pastored in Huntsville. And um, if you're happy that I'm here, you can thank Gary because he gave my resume to, um, to the search committee. Um, if you're not happy that I'm here, you can blame Gary. And after church, come tell him why I shouldn't be pastor. That's all right. So uh, tell him, don't tell me. But, uh, but they're going to come. I just want you to, to know that Gary's coming to share with us about mission dignity. It's something that we've been looked at before. We'll see a video in just a moment. But, um, but Gary was a pastor at first trustful for some of you were a part of that church. And then he went to Arkansas and 
and then was executive director at South Carolina Baptist. And so he's back in Birmingham, retired and working for Godstone. Um, what'd you say, Gwen? You didn't want less, more of him and less money? Is that what it was? And so you made him go back to work. But he's, uh, he's, he's enjoying working with Godstone, I think. So in just a moment, he'll come. Why don't you stand up and move around and greet some folks? We're glad you're here today. Hello. It's good to see you. How are you? How are you? It's good to see you. Good to see you. Appreciate you, man. Appreciate you. Hello. How are you? Stand up and greet some people. <laughs> you know what? You do whatever you want to do. <laughs> I'm not going to tell Vicky that, but you do whatever you want to do. <laughs> Mike. <laughs> Let's pray together. Would you join me? Father, thank you for the joy we have of worshiping you together with, to, today with the body of Christ. God, I just thank you for um, everything we get to do. And I thank you for the folks who are here, and we give you praise, and we give you honor and glory, and ask that you would honor us with your presence being manifested to us today. Bless us today that, with that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, if you have that video, let's play the um, Mission Dignity video, and then Gary's going to come and say a word about it. Olive trees and mission dignity recipients have a lot in common. They are resilient. They symbolize and represent witnesses for God. And they continue to produce fruit even in their old age, many continuing their ministry throughout retirement. It came to my attention about Leeds Housing Authority. There's 158 apartments there, and people were hungry and they had needs and they needed prayer. So we moved there not really knowing exactly what we were gonna do. God told me this one thing, I will give you what you need to do what I call and need you to do. There's no words to describe what a difference Mission Dignity has made in our lives. Mission Dignity helps me because I have a pulpit on my front porch and people who I cannot get to come to, come to church. That's, that's our theme. We take the church to them and build a bridge where I can get them back to the church. My husband and I were home missionaries. We served in the Great Lakes area, Illinois, Indiana. We mainly did church planting, and I suppose we started 20 or 25 churches. Mission Dignity has impacted my life by allowing me to remain in the ministries I have in the church here by helping me pay the expenses to live here and to stay here um, at Regency Point. We have four uh, Southern Baptist pastors that come on a weekly basis. So we have church on Sunday, hymn singing on Monday, and Bible study on Tuesday. And I'm very, very grateful. We pastor small churches. We never did have as much money as we would have liked, but God gave us what we needed. The Lord's not done with us yet. He still wants us to minister, 
bear fruit, bless others. And I think um, through Mission Dignity, we'll be able to do that more. I want to invest in the kingdom of God. I'm not living for this life. I'm living for the life to come. And Mission Dignity is serving me so I can serve others. Mission Dignity helps more than 2,800 individuals every year with extra money needed for housing, food, and vital medications. Many of these pastors led some of us to faith, and as they face advancing age, illness, and death of a spouse, it's our turn to take care of our family with prayer, financial assistance, and a sense of security. Mission Dignity provides a lot of security for me, a lot of security and a lot of peace. 100% of your gift helps a retirement age pastor or widow in need. I just want to say to all donors that contribute to Mission Dignity, thank you from the bottom of my heart. And my husband, were he here, would thank you too for picking up the baton where he had to lay it down and run in the race so that I could finish mine. Please give to these faithful servants today. Did you catch the common theme in these stories that these are retirees, but they're not finished doing ministry yet? And uh, this very morning, you saw in the video over 2,800 recipients of Mission Dignity funding uh, can have that funding because of churches like First Baptist and because of pastors like Brother John and, and individuals like you who are willing to open your heart and also uh, open your wallets to uh, Mission Dignity. I, I would want you to know this morning that not one penny of corporate program money is, uh, goes towards Mission Dignity. All of those funds come from individuals, come from churches. Uh, there are some funds that come from foundations and from wills and trusts that people leave. And uh, this morning, your pastor was kind enough to allow me to just bring a little envelope and uh, an informational card. It's inside your bulletin. And uh, when they called and asked me if I would be willing to, to just represent Mission Dignity. They had no one on the east side of the Mississippi River. Uh, the Dallas, the offices are over in Dallas, John, as you well know. And uh, they said that we have no one over there talking about Mission Dignity. Would you be willing to, to do that? And I said, absolutely, because I believe deeply in this ministry. And uh, I just appreciate so very much the opportunity to show the video, to bring the information. But I want to say how much I do love and appreciate John and Kim Tweet. They have been dear, dear friends. And uh, had the dubious honor of pastoring some of our family members, my wife's family. So he knows all of our family secrets, so don't talk to him too much about the Hollingsworth. <laughs> and then I won't talk to you much about the tweets. John, thank you. Thank you. And thank you for letting us be here with you today to talk about Mission Dignity. This morning is from Obadiah chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. <clears throat> Children of God were suffering while the country of Eden was, was prospering. So God raised up Obadiah to bring these words of encouragement. 
for the day of the Lord is near upon all nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return to your own head, for you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They drank and they swallowed, and shall be as though they had never been. But in Mount Zion there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy. And the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. The house of, ja the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Just a couple of little notes here before Pastor, you can help me here in just a minute, you can. Uh, if you notice in your bulletin, Be Thou My Vision is marked as a hymn for you, but it'll be the choir singing it to you and to God. So uh, remembering that part right there. And Pastor, I'm, I'm looking here and I want to uh, read Psalm, part of Psalm 51, uh, Creating Me a Clean Heart, O God. Is with. What would be the time between several hundred years, I'm sure between the time David penned that to the time James wrote that in, in the scriptures you'll be sharing here, purify my heart, clean my heart. I appreciate you putting me on the spot. <laughs> Give or take a thousand years. Yeah, 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 okay. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's close enough. That's close. But it was, it was several hundred years, though, yeah. right? Yeah. We do that. I, I wanted to put you on the spot. I just wanted to see if you were listening. That's all. <laughs> I can Google it if you want yep, me to. That, that's, you know, that's fine. That's fine. No Googling in church, though. We know that. Uh, Psalm 51, beginning with verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. David wrote this to the choir director, to the choir master, and James also gave us some lessons on what to do with our hearts. You know, we cannot do anything, anything, unless we first ask God to change our heart. Now, that doesn't mean if you're a Christian or not a Christian. There are still things within our hearts that we need to ask God to change so we can be better servants for him. Let's stand together as we sing hymn number 529, Change My Heart, O God.
You might want to Google that movie. Not in church, though. <laughs> but you might want to Google that movie and see that because it's a wonderful movie that deals with exactly what you spoke about today, sir. And this song was part of that. Pure in heart, O oh God. And again, the, the text is back to 5110. To create in me a pure heart, a clean heart, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Let's stand together as we sing, Purer in Heart, O oh God. <laughs> Once again, all them boys and one girl. <laughs> and I know that girl, she can handle all them boys, can't she? Isn't that right, Amanda? <laughs> I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to James chapter 4. 
We're going to read verses 7 through 10. Um, before that, we'll pray. I want to thank Dan. Um, where'd Dan slip to? Um, way over there. Dan, thank you so much for... Um, Dan has been um, graciously filling in for, for Ronnie. Ronnie's here, but I want you to know, um, Ronnie and I have talked. He just needs a few more weeks um, before he leads. I think all of us understand that. And I told Ronnie to take as much time as he needed. And I want you to, to know that. And so, Dan, thank you. And Ronnie, we're praying for you. Ronnie's mom was rushed to um, ICU. And, and so this, this past week is so a lot going on in the foster family. So let's pray together, continually lifting them up. And then we'll get ready to come into the Word. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you and we do pray. We pray with David that you would create in us a clean heart. Lord, I pray that you would restore unto us the joy of your salvation. And even as we see in this text that we read, as we draw near to you, we ask that you would keep the promise that you've made in Scripture and draw near to us. We need you. Holy Spirit, we need you in many ways. There are those who are hurting and recovering and they need you, and they need your healing. There are those who are anxious, battling with depression, battling with many other things that no one else knows. I pray, Father, that you would bring healing to them, that your hand would be upon them, and that you would comfort them and still them with your peace. There are others in this room, it's, everything is going well, and we give you praise for that. We do want to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Thank you, God, for the good. And yet, Father, because of your word, we can say thank you for the bad. Because we know that all things work together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purposes. So, Lord, I do lift up Ronnie to you and I lift up his mom, and I just pray that you would be with the doctors and that you would guide their hands and you would bring some healing to her. Bless her family. Bless this time as we come to your word. We, we confess, Lord, that these are indeed letters from heaven. And as Holy Spirit, you led James to write them. Now we ask that you would open our eyes to understand them. Especially, God, I thank you for this passage, so practical, right to where we are. And so speak to us, we pray through it in Jesus' name. Amen. James chapter 4, we're looking at verses 7 through 10. If you're able, I invite you to stand in honor of God's Word. If you remember, we'll talk about it in just a moment. In chapter 4, we've already studied, James talks about the quarrels that are among them. He, um, he comes out and and hits them hard in verse 4, you adulterous people. We saw that last week, and now he comes to verse 7. And he says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Thank you. You can be seated. In chapter 2, 
verse 1, we saw these words, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. If you look at those words, the Lord of glory, we said that really in that we find the secret to the Christian living. We see Jesus as the all-glorious one. When we see him as all-glorious, when we see him for who he is, as the, as the beautiful one, then we begin to follow after him and lead and, and, and seek him, not because we have to, but because we want to, because we get to. It changes everything when we see Jesus in this manner. He's the all-glorious one. And then if you remember in chapter 3, verse 13, we saw these words, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, and those two words are, are the focus, by his good conduct, let him show the works, his works, in the meekness of wisdom. This word, good conduct, in the Greek's one word, and it's, it's a word that speaks of that which is beautiful. And, and what we saw is that, that we're to live our lives to, to show the beauty of Christ. The world sees enough of the ugly. The church should, should see Jesus as the all-glorious one and, and live a beautiful life in front of them, that, that, that we see Jesus as all-glorious and we live the life that he's called us to live and, and we walk in his spirit. And, and when we live like that, again, everything changes. Everything. James hits us hard. We, we talked about it last week. We've been breaking this down in small bits, and it might have been easier just to rip it off like a Band-Aid and, and deal with it all at once because he hits us hard. He, he speaks of the power of the tongue. He says it's, it's set on fire by hell itself. He speaks of the wisdom of the world and, and says it's demonic. He, he talks about the, the quarrels and the wars that are, that are among the body of Christ and and he shows us the source of that conflict is it's desire. Not desire for the all-glorious one. Not desire for the all-beautiful one. It's, it's desire that, that is for selfish ambition and envy. When the desire is outside of the all-glorious one. When our desire is outside of the beautiful one, when, when our desire is outside of Jesus, when we begin to seek the desire for worldly fulfillment and friendship with the world, James says it last week, he, he likens that desire for something outside of Christ to spiritual adultery. He says we're being unfaithful to him. When we're desiring to be satisfied outside of Christ, we're his bride, the bride of Christ. And, and Jesus expects of us faithfulness. I, I expect and Kim expects faithfulness in the marriage as a part of the vows we took. God expects faithfulness. And the beauty, as we'll see in this text, is not only does he expect faithfulness of us, he, he's faithful to us as we walk in him. What we find is that, we saw it last week, is that even when we sin, God gives us grace upon grace. There's always more grace in him than there is sin in us, we saw. But he closes that as he also closes our verse, their, their bookend together. God opposes the proud, 
but he gives grace to the humble. Now here's the question. We've been studying all this. We've been looking at this. How are we to live the humble life that brings God's grace? How are we to live that life? James doesn't leave us wondering for long. He, he gets very practical here. And, and here's the thing. If, if God's grace comes to the humble and, and God opposes the proud, we'd better ask ourselves, how do we live in such a way that, that we receive His grace? How do we live so that we are the recipients of God's grace and not the objects of God's opposition? That's a question all of us need to ask. Because James is writing to believers here. He's, he, and, he, and he answers the question. James is he's writing to Jewish believers who have been dispersed. It's the earliest book in the New Testament. And what's interesting is, and we won't see, we won't look at all of them, but, but, but James gives us in the original language, 10 imperatives, 10 commands. You think that's by accident? That a man leading the Jewish church turns around and gives the Jewish church 10 commandments? Now, we're going to sum them up in five and look at them, but there are 10 commandments here, and, and we'll look at them. And, and here's the thing. This very first one drives all of them. And what we find is the need for active allegiance. Active allegiance. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Submit yourselves, therefore. Remember we asked, what's it there for? Submit yourselves, therefore. That therefore comes from God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble, therefore, submit yourselves, to God. Now, we don't appreciate the word submit, do we? We don't like that word. It is, it is abused often. But there needs to be no doubt as to where we stand and who we follow in this world. We, we must choose, as we saw in the Old Testament, choose you this day whom you will serve. We must choose who we will follow. And to follow God means that we submit to God. To follow God means that we submit to Him. He's, he's Lord and we're not. He's, he's God and we're not. And He tells us how to live. And, and when He tells us how to live by telling us what to do and what not to do, He tells us these things. We, we submit to Him because we're His followers. The word submit is, is, is more active than we might think when we look at it from the English standpoint. It's, it's a compound word that's made up of two words, arrange and under. It literally means to arrange yourself under God. So when he says submit to God, arrange yourself under God. It's a military word. It's a, it's a word that means to rank under. To rank under. In the military, if a, if a buck private starts acting like a major general, there's a problem. If a buck private begins to act like a major general, it's considered insubordination. If he goes too far, it's even considered impersonating an officer. In the Bible, when creation starts acting like they're the creator, it's called sin. You could call it insubordination. You could call it impersonating the creator. 
but it's just simply sin. Submission is a part of our daily life, isn't it? We're seeing the world in an active rebellion against authority, but, but submission is a part of our daily life. We, we submit to the police. We submit to the teacher. We submit to the coach. We, we submit to the boss. We, we submit to one another in marriage, according to Paul. But all of that flows out of this verse that we submit to God. We submit to Him. Without submission, this world will fall into chaos, as we often see. Without submission, the church falls under God's opposition. We must start with active allegiance. But then James says we move to active opposition. Active allegiance leads to active opposition. Resist the devil. If we're going to submit to God, then we must resist the devil. The command is to resist. The promise is he'll flee from you. Martin Luther, the, the reformer, took this so seriously that there were times as he was translating and writing the Bible, I, I've told you this, he would sense the presence of the devil in his, in his room and he would literally throw his inkwell at the devil. Resist. I'm not suggesting you throw things at him, but if that's necessary, resist. Don't just give in to him. Resist. The promise he will flee from you. I want to remind you, church, that if the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you, and he does if you've been born again, born again believers with the presence of the Holy Spirit, Satan has no power over you that is not given to him. Even the devil is God's devil. The devil cannot do anything outside of God's permission. He's not an autonomous creature who does what he wants to do. Just look at Job, and you see cases of this in the Scripture. He will flee from you. It isn't that we go charging hell with water pistols loaded with holy water, if there's such a thing. It isn't that we take the enemy's battle into the camp, that we just go rushing into the war. The idea is not that we go looking for war, but the idea is that we are at war. We're there. When we're born, we're born at war with God. We are on the wrong side. We're, we're born in sin. We're born with a sinful nature. That's Psalm 51 as well, that, that we were born and conceived in sin. But, but listen, when you're born again, you switch sides. And now you begin to fight the enemy of our God. Resist is another military word. It, it's active resistance. It's not this idea that, that somehow came into the church years ago, let go and let God. That is not what this word means. It means take your stand. Put on the full armor of God, Paul said, and take your stand against the enemy with the truth. How did Jesus fight the battle of the enemy? You, you know it in the garden. 
or not in the garden, excuse me, in the wilderness. How did he fight it? He fought it with the Word of God. The enemy is attacking our children. He's attacking our grandchildren. He's, he's attacking our culture. He's constantly after us, teaching us things and saying things and getting people to accept things that are outside of God's Word. How do we do it? We, we fight it with the truth of God's Word. Now, the Bible says that when He comes after us and we fight Him with the Word of God, that, that He will flee from us. He'll flee when you resist. It doesn't mean he never comes back. You remember what the Bible said when, when Jesus resisted Satan those three times in the wilderness? He said, he left him for a more opportune time. He'll keep coming, and we must keep fighting. He's a liar, church. I saw something the other day, and I don't even know who the preacher was. It was just a little clip. He says, one day we're going to get in heaven, and one day we're going to see Satan for who he is, and we're going to say, we let that defeat us? We let that ruin our life? We let that ruin our marriage, ruin our job, ruin everything about us? He's a liar. He's the father of lies. My girls hate it when I say it. They, they, they know it's coming. You're never more like the devil than when you lie. He's the father of lies. He seeks to blind us. Paul tells us in Corinthians, he has blinded us. And, and, and we must have our eyes open with the truth of the gospel. He seeks to blind us from truth. He seeks to blind us from the power of God. He doesn't give up on us because we're saved. He, he doesn't want you to walk in the abundant life that Jesus has promised. He masquerades as an angel of light promising you fulfillment, promising you things. Even in Genesis, he, did God really say, you won't surely die. You'll be like God if you'll listen to me. He masquerades as an angel of light. But ultimately, he's a deceiver and he's an accuser. Jesus said he comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Stand against him. Stand against his lies with the truth in your own life. Stand against his evil with holiness. Submitting, submitting to God and resisting the devil are linked. You can't do one without the other. Now, surely you, you can't resist the devil unless you first submitted to God. But as you submit to God, as you submit and begin to follow him and do what he calls you to do, then you strap on the armor and you resist. You resist by being in the Word. You resist by, by praying. You resist by doing what you're doing today, worshiping with the body of Christ. But, but you resist by worshiping Him throughout the week, day after day. You resist Him, and you fight against His lies. There's an act of allegiance. Submit to God. There's an act of opposition. Resist the devil. Then there's an active pursuit. An active pursuit. Look at what he says in verse 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. What an overwhelming statement. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Like the prodigal son, come back. 
and you will find the Father running to you. Worship Him, and you will find Him nearer to you than the skin on your bones. Worship Him, and you will find Him more real to you than the seat on which you're sitting. Draw near to God. Actively pursue Him. Actively seek Him in His Word and in prayer. Here's what I think He's saying. Deliberately work on your fellowship with Him. Maybe you're the perfect husband and the perfect wife out there. But I've discovered in our years of marriage, it's usually me, but we need to work on our fellowship from time to time. We start taking things for granted, and I just come home and and just do the same thing, sit in a chair and read a book and and forget that, that, that I need to work on my fellowship with Kim. We must deliberately work on our fellowship with God. I, I, I said something about this on social media not long ago, and, and I was thinking because so many times I get in a routine that, that really seems to help my walk with God, and then after a while, Gary, I don't know if you, I just get bored with that routine. And I thought, I must have spiritual ADD or something. I just can't stick with it. And then it just, it's like the Spirit whispered to me, have you ever thought that I, I want you to change it up a little bit because I get bored with your routine? I don't know if that was him or just a cup of coffee that I drank that morning, but I thought from there, I can constantly change up my, my life and, and help my fellowship with my spouse, with Kim. Surely, I can constantly, deliberately work on my relationship with God. Find a new way to to memorize the psalm or find a new way to sing and worship or find a new way to pray. Do something different. Go on a walk. Do something that's a little bit different in our relationship. Now, obviously, before I move on, I've got to say there are things that you must do. For example, if I'm going to deliberately work on my relationship with Kim, I at least need to come home. So stay home, stay in the Word, stay in prayer, stay in those things, but, but find new ways. Read the Bible differently next year or this year or some other time. Find new ways. That's why I change up the different translations I read in the Bible every year. I just want to keep the Word fresh in my mind. Be deliberate in your worship. Now, as I think about this, we want the opposite of what James is saying. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. We we want God to draw near to us. We want God to let us experience His presence. So we say something along these lines, God, if, if you'll just come down and manifest your presence like you did for Moses, then I'll come to you. God, if, if you'll just make me feel like praying this morning, I'll pray. If you'll make me feel like being in your word, then, then I'll read it. But God doesn't offer the promise before the command here. He offers the command, draw near, and then the promise, he'll draw near to you. He's working in you drawing near to him, but, but understand, there, there'll be times when you don't feel like getting up. I told Gary, my clock didn't go off this morning. I, 
I'm over jet lag now. My, my body is sleeping too much, and I'm not getting up at four and, and saying, what am I doing away? I, I have to set an alarm, but it didn't go off, and I missed some time with the Lord this morning. Get up when you don't feel like getting up. Stay up when you don't feel like staying up. Worship when you don't feel like worshiping. Pray when you don't feel like praying. Read when you don't feel like reading. Do it anyway. Draw near to God. And God will draw near to you. Be careful. It's interesting in how he works things. Yesterday morning, I was outside. Man, I was enjoying that cool weather and sitting outside. And, and I was praying and praying about the fruit of the Spirit in my own life and asking God to help me manifest that. And I, I just wrote in my journal, God, I don't want to be grumpy today. I want to be full of joy today. I got finished and put my stuff up and went outside and I love to mow the yard. It's, it's from back when I had little girls, it was peaceful and, um, and I could mow the yard. And I got on my lawnmower and started mowing and I, I got to the backyard. I was going to start there and engage it and it went dead. I tried everything I could to, to start it and it wouldn't start, and which I don't know much to help it get started. It had gas and the battery was working. That's all I knew. That's what I did. I got grumpy. Can't believe the lawnmower's not working. Went on grumpy about it. And then I stopped and I said, Lord, I ask you, help me not be grumpy today. Thank you for a lawnmower that didn't start. Forgive me for not listening and using this as an opportunity to have joy. Now, I did the only thing I know to do when something goes wrong. I called Terry Chisholm. And <laughs> Terry Chisholm had it and I was mowing that afternoon and I was all happy. Fuel filter had a hole in it. That's what it was, in case you're wondering. God wants us to walk with him. And there are times we won't feel like it. I need to stop again because I, I, I spoke to a mother the other day with young kids. And, and, and I just want to relieve you for a second. You've got to give what you have. Young moms who have one-year-olds and six-month-olds at home and newborns at home, they're not going to give and have the opportunity to pray hours upon hours a day. They're just not. They don't have the time. And when they get a chance to sleep, they sleep, and they should sleep. But find a way to spend time with God throughout the day. It may just be five minutes as you're nursing or feeding that child or, or, or five minutes as they finally go to sleep for a second or, or just driving down the road and they're asleep and you can just spend some time praying. Just find those moments to be alone with God. Draw near to God and God promises you he will draw near to you. Well, how do we pursue him? How do we worship him? Well, James is again very practical. He leads us to active obedience. Active obedience. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. If I'm going to draw near to God, I, I, I need to make sure that I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with the sin of my life. Two things here, cleanse and purify. Isn't it interesting? Cleanse and purify the outer life, your hands. But also cleanse and purify the inner life, your heart. Cleanse your hands, purify your heart. I want to say to you, it's, it's the work we must do. God does the work of salvation. The Holy Spirit comes in us and empowers us. 
But there's work as children of God we must do, like gardeners getting rid of weeds and rocks. There are things in our life that stop growth, and we must actively pursue God and actively seek to get rid of the things that that stops us from submitting to God. We have to be thorough. No room for any sin. No room for any disloyalty. We, we draw near to God, and in the light of His glory, we get rid of darkness. And in the light of His holiness, we get rid of impurity. We, we seek after Him, and we do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. But listen, in the power of the Spirit, we must do it. It's not going to happen by osmosis. I wish I could lay my Bible under my pillow and wake up and I'm holy the next morning. It just doesn't work that way. I must read and study it and actively pursue it. Verse 9 really takes us aback. We're coming through all of these things and then all of a sudden he says, be wretched and mourn and weep. The world will say that's the Baptist verse right there. Be wretched, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. James uses this Old Testament prophetic imagery. And what he's saying to us is is actively lament. Actively lament. Don't treat sin like it's not a big deal. He's been talking about the sin the quarrels, the, 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 the selfish ambition, and the jealousy, and all those things. And he's showing us how to move away from that. But he's saying, don't treat it like it's not a big deal. Look at the cross and, and remember how terrible our sin is. There's a little book I, I've, I've mentioned I would recommend. It's, it's A Praying Life by Paul E. Miller. Not the Paul Miller of our church, but Paul E. Miller. In that book, he said this about Lament. If your, if your life is lament-free, you aren't loving well. To love is to lament. To let your heart be broken by something. Have you lamented over the sin of your children? Have you lamented over the sin of this world? Lamented over the sin of the church? Does it bother you to see people walking away from the holiness of God? If we, if we are not lamenting, we, we don't see our sin as it is. When we see sin for what it is, it, it will cause us to retch away from it. it. It will cause us to mourn and weep. Our lack of lament will move us away from God, and, and it will move us towards cynicism. There are enough cynics in the church today. We we need people lamenting over the sin because they're trying to draw near to God and they see what keeps them from God. See your sin and actively lament and find God's grace. That's why I love the Psalms. They lament for us. We read the words in the Psalms of the laments and we see how they mourned over the sin, their own sin, like Psalm 51, but also... They mourn over the sin of the nations and the sin of their own nation. I'm afraid the church has become far too lackadaisical over sin. James says, mourn over that sin. 
But he doesn't leave us there. He comes back to where he left off in verse 6. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And then he books in this whole section with verse 10. Humble yourself before the Lord. And he, he will exalt you. I love the way Ray Pritchard summarized this. He said, this is a reminder. Stay low. Stay low. Don't get too high and lofty. Remember Daniel, or Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 4? Don't get, stay low. Stay low. Remember who you are and remember who he is. And, and look at this incredible promise. He will exalt you. Isn't that what Jesus said? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Humble yourself before the Lord. Blessed are the poor in spirit, and he will exalt you. I just remind you, in Jesus' teaching, the way up is the way down in the kingdom of God. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. But exalt yourself and he will humble you. Amen? When we lament over our sin, when we actively go low and submit ourselves before God, he takes us high. He takes us into his presence, and he exalts us, and he brings us to himself. There is no more exalting thing to be a son or daughter of God. Amen? To see him as all glorious, to see him as all beautiful, and to live your life according. Would you bow your heads just for a moment? This is the kind of passage that I would challenge you to go home and spend time with tonight, today, and over the next week. But let me ask you just as we go, are there areas in your life that you need to submit before God? I, I know the answer to every one of us. There are areas we must submit. What is God calling you to submit before him? Are you submitting before God, or therefore to God? Are you, are you resisting the devil? Have you given in to some of his tricks, some of his ways? Have you excused it as just being who you are? You're a child of God. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Draw near. Try him on that this week. Draw near to him in prayer. Draw near to him in, your, in the word. Maybe there's some things in your outer life that are, that are wrong and need to be cleansed and you need to get forgiveness for today. Maybe they're coming from an inner life that's not your heart, your hands. Mourn over that sin. Weep over that sin. But once it's forgiven, rejoice in the forgiveness and grace of God. Humble yourself before Him. And He will exalt you. Father, I just lift this time before You. You know what needs to be done both privately and publicly. And so I just ask, God, if there's something you're calling us to do that 
that this word would go deep in our hearts, that it would take root and that it would bear fruit and that the enemy would not quickly snatch it away, that it would not be choked by the cares of this world, but that we would obey what you're telling us. Father, I ask you that you would change our hearts. Help us to be pure and holy. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand and sing. As we sing, if God's calling you to do something public, I'll be here to help you with that. Let's stand together. forget ladies tonight is um, come to the well and you can see the information there and then also we'll be teaching through the Psalms I want to close with a different type of benediction I read it this morning in the Psalms I told you I got up late but I got my Psalms in and um, would you just bow your heads and listen to this Psalm of blessing from David may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation. And in the name of our God, get up. God, God set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. This is the word of the Lord. I want to encourage you.
to be a part of Sunday School. I want to encourage you to take advantage of that little envelope and give to Mission Dignity. Gary and Gwen will be right here. If you have any questions about Mission Dignity, they can help you with that. God bless you. Take care. Thank you, Dan. That's good. Appreciate it.